The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 158 Babylon is Taken Babylon was in an uproar. Their king had gone insane. Nebuchadnezzar now dwelled in pastures and caves like a wild man. Those curious enough to go looking for him would sometimes chance upon the famous world ruler eating grass and sleeping with livestock. As the years passed, his hair grew, becoming matted and tangled, taking on the appearance of bird feathers. His fingernails also looked more like talons. The longer he was deprived of his human spirit, the more grotesque and deformed King Nebuchadnezzar became. After seven years of this extreme and humiliating punishment, Nebuchadnezzar woke to see the sun peeking over the horizon. As usual, he was covered with the morning dew. This morning, however, was different. God had returned his human spirit to him, and the king suddenly realized who he was. He was shocked at to what he had become. But slowly, his memories returned. He remembered God's warnings and the last day of his sanity. Nebuchadnezzar looked up to the sky and thanked God for returning his understanding to him. The great king had learned his lesson. He knew that God appoints kings according to his will and he finally submitted himself to his authority. Nebuchadnezzar had been chastened more than just about any man in history, perhaps because he was one of the most arrogant men to ever live. This is a key lesson for all of us to learn. We all need to submit ourselves to God's will. If we refuse to obey, God will humble us no matter who we are. But God is also compassionate and merciful. Once he returned Nebuchadnezzar's human spirit to him, and the king proved himself repentant, God also restored to him the kingdom of Babylon. Even more majesty and blessings were given to him. The king recorded these events by his own hand, preserved by God as the fourth chapter of Daniel, so we would have this dramatic example to learn from. King Nebuchadnezzar died one year later. Sadly, the next king of Babylon had the same great arrogance and vanity that God had worked so hard to eliminate within his predecessor.
Years later, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, sat on the throne of Babylon. His kingdom was continuing to prosper and still held world power. Belshazzar enjoyed all the pleasures available to him and worshipped the false gods of his countrymen. He failed to learn the lessons of his grandfather and forgot the prophecies concerning the kingdoms to come after the head of gold. For several years, Babylon had been able to suppress continuous uprisings in its outlying provinces, but it was only a matter of time until the years of constant wars wore it down. Media and Persia were constant hotbeds of unrest. They not only planned to secure independence from Babylon, but also to capture the impregnable city itself. One day, King Belshazzar decided to hold a massive feast in his Babylonian palace. One thousand lords and heads of government came from around his kingdom. The feast was tremendous, and wine flowed freely. As the evening wore on, many of his guests drank too much, along with Belshazzar. In the midst of his drunkenness, the king audaciously ordered his servants to bring out all of the temple vessels captured from Jerusalem. The holy vessels of gold and silver, possibly made by Solomon, were filled with wine and given to Belshazzar, his wives, concubines, and princess to desecrate and degrade in their unbridled celebration. The king's party praised the pagan gods of Babylon. Glorying in the kingdom's magnificence and their freedom to pursue pleasure, as the king drank wine from a golden temple vessel, his eyes caught an odd sight across the room. Although his vision was slightly blurred and his mind hazy, what he saw froze him with fear. Belshazzar watched as a man's hand appeared and wrote words on a wall on the other side of the room. This floating hand grabbed the attention of an increasing number of people in the room as it recorded its macabre message on the wall. Once the message was completed, the hand disappeared. Panic seized the king and his knees began knocking against one another. A heavy silence filled the room as everyone saw the look of fear on Belshazzar's face. Bring in all the wise men, astrologers, and soothsayers, the king hastily ordered. Tell me what the meaning of this message is. Whoever can decipher these words and explain the meaning to me will be given a chain of gold and a scarlet robe, and he'll be made third ruler in the kingdom. Aides ran all through the palace, summoning all the wise men to the king's presence. Soon, a great crowd had gathered to inspect the wall. These wise men, astrologers, and soothsayers were the most revered men in Babylon, considered to be the most intelligent some had communication with the spirit realm. Belshazzar thought they could relieve his anxiety and find the meaning. 
he was wrong. The greatest minds in Babylon could not make sense of the message. Belshazzar's entire palace was filled with fearful speculative chatter, each wondering what the hand had written on the wall. Very few remembered the miraculous events surrounding the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. However, Belshazzar's grandmother, one of the wives of King Nebuchadnezzar, heard the ruckus about the palace and came to see Belshazzar. She knew who could interpret the message for the king. Great king, live forever. Don't let your mind be anxious and don't worry about this message. She said, perplexed. Belshazzar motioned for her to continue speaking. There is a man in Babylon who has the spirit of the gods, who was a gifted counselor in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. She continued. He interprets many dreams and mysterious messages that the wisest men in Babylon could not. Nebuchadnezzar made him chief of the wise men. And this man is still alive. He interprets dreams and clears up mysterious messages. Your grandfather named him Belteshazzar, but his Hebrew name is Daniel. He can interpret this writing for you, if you call for him. Without hesitation, Belshazzar sent a multitude of servants to find Daniel. Soon, the prophet was brought before the king. Daniel had been a young man in his late teens or early twenties when he was first brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Now Daniel was an old, gray-haired man. Standing before Belshazzar brought several memories to Daniel's mind of the times he had stood before Nebuchadnezzar in similar circumstances. As the old prophet stood before the young king, Belshazzar hoped desperately that Daniel was as good as his reputation. Are you that Daniel, the one who was among the Jewish captives? The king asked. The one my grandfather brought over from Judah? Before Daniel could even respond, the anxious king pressed on with his request. I have heard how you interpreted the dreams of my grandfather and explained to him mysteries all of the wise men of Babylon could not understand. There is writing on a wall here that none of the wise men, soothsayers, or astrologers could decipher for me. The king pointed at the Aramaic text on the plastered wall. I have heard the legends of you, Daniel, and how you have dissolved the doubts of kings. If you tell me the meaning of this message, you will be given a golden chain and a scarlet robe and be made third in the kingdom. Daniel looked at Belshazzar and clearly saw the concern on his face. Daniel was very direct in answering the king of Babylon. God had already communicated to Daniel what to say. He had a very direct lesson for this arrogant king. You can keep your gifts and give the reward to someone else. The prophet began. He was a man of sterling character, not even tempted by worldly riches. But I will decipher the message and explain the meaning to you. Daniel continued. O king, 
God gave the kingdom of Babylon to your grandfather Nebuchadnezzar, so he would rule all nations, and the earth would tremble and fear him. He had the power to decide life and death. But when he became arrogant and his heart hardened in pride, God took away his throne and his mind, making him act as a wild animal. He ate grass like the oxen, and he awoke every day covered in the morning dew. It was only after he humbled himself and learned that God rules in the kingdom of men that his senses and his kingdom were restored. Now you, King Belshazzar, knew all this history, and you did not humble yourself. Instead, you took the vessels of God's own house and defiled them in drunken revelry. You have desecrated them in your own pagan worship, and you have rejected the great God who gives life. From him was the hand sent to give you a message. At his words, a sense of doom began to overwhelm the king. Daniel walked over to the wall and began explaining the message. The words on the wall read, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsen. Over 1,000 of the most powerful people in the world crowded in to hear Daniel explain what the Aramaic words meant. This is the interpretation, Belshazzar. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and it is finished. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, the kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. A gasp filled the room as the meaning of the writing on the wall became plain. No one moved or spoke. This gray-haired prophet had once again revealed the downfall of Babylon. But now, for the first time, he showed who would be the chest and arms of silver from the Daniel II image. The king was deeply shaken and embarrassed. He could sense the truth in Daniel's pronouncement. He awkwardly thanked the prophet and then commanded his attendant to bestow honors upon Daniel, almost hoping the favorable treatment would mollify the dire prophecy. Daniel received a golden chain and a scarlet robe Belshazzar then decreed that he be third ruler in Babylon. It was the last act he would ever perform as king. He died that night. While this drama was unfolding in the palace at Babylon, a golden moment of military history was taking place outside the city walls. A large army led by Cyrus and Darius, rulers of the Medes and Persians, was preparing to assault the impregnable fortress of Babylon. 
The city was immense. Its walls were 200 to 300 feet tall. To avoid a long siege against the city wall's strong defenses, Cyrus chose a more ingenious route. The river Euphrates flowed through the city. The waters entered Babylon under small openings in the walls, then followed a walled canal inside the city. Brass gates with bars of iron prevented entrance into the city via the river. Along the canal wall, inner gates allowed citizens access to the river from the city. Cyrus had directed his soldiers to divert the Euphrates into a large canal. This brought the water level low enough for Cyrus to march his army on the riverbed, under the gates, and into the heart of Babylon. It was a brilliant move but its success hinged on the inner gates of the city being left open. The real prize was the palace. It was built on the riverside at the heart of the metropolis, and that is where Cyrus led his men. Miraculously, all the gates had been left open. It was an amazing event that allowed Cyrus to defeat Babylon in one night. Belshazzar was killed, and Cyrus assumed the throne. However, the most incredible facet of this history is that it was all prophesied 150 years earlier. Isaiah 44 and 45 contain an amazing prophecy that foretold how Cyrus would conquer Babylon. Isaiah 44:28 says, That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple, Thy foundation shall be laid. This is an astounding prophecy about God raising up a man named Cyrus, who would be instrumental in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. As we will see later, this did come to pass in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Isaiah 45 shows how Cyrus would conquer the city. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two levered gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. God set Cyrus aside from birth for the special purpose of allowing the Jews to return to Jerusalem. God also prophesied how Cyrus would conquer the most impregnable fortress of his day. This amazing fulfilled Bible prophecy is an astounding proof of God's existence and it opened a new chapter in the history of God's people.
Following the capture of Babylon, Darius the Mede set 120 princes over new provinces of the vast empire. There were three presidents over all the affairs of state, and Darius made Daniel the chief among the three. After the king and the royal family, Daniel was next in charge over the entire Medo-Persian Empire. Darius saw great wisdom in Daniel, who had been an administrator in Babylon for decades, and so preferred him over all his other advisors. This favor aroused considerable envy among many of the presidents and princes, some of whom had been with Darius for many years. The entire organization sought a way to accuse Daniel of wrongdoing, but they couldn't find any fault in his character. They observed how rigidly and vigorously he obeyed God and decided to use this against him, hatching a scheme to force Daniel to break the law of the land. The top presidents and princes approached the king. King Darius, live forever! They proclaimed, All the top leaders of your kingdom have drafted a royal decree that forbids any man to petition any deity or man other than you for thirty days. Any who defy this would be thrown into a den of lions as punishment. The leaders pressed the king to sign the decree. No, great king, establish this decree and make it law so that it cannot be changed, as is the tradition of the Medes and Persians whose laws can never be withdrawn. His thoughts, preoccupied with establishing the rest of his newly conquered kingdom, Darius hastily signed the decree. He did not consider the ramifications of such a law. News of the decree reached the prophet Daniel. Being seen praying in public meant imprisonment and a trip to the lion's den. He thought back across the span of years to the many times jealous advisors had plotted his downfall or tempted him to disobey. God had seen him through all those trials. The old prophet was not about to let a law keep him from praying to the great God. The king's advisors had been carefully observing Daniel's activities. They knew he prayed three times a day in his chamber, kneeling on the floor with his window open to the west, toward Jerusalem. The conniving presidents and princes sent spies to observe if Daniel continued his daily routine. Soon, they returned with a report. The old prophet was on his knees praying to his God. 
Now was their chance to bring down this old Jew who had preeminence over them. They immediately went before the king. Read the royals! Their spokesman began. You have just recently made a new law concerning any man who makes a petition to their god. You decreed such an offender would be thrown into a den of lions. Do you remember this decree? Darius was somewhat puzzled by their inquiry. Of course, I remember, he said. The top leaders struggled to conceal their elation at their victory. Great King, one continued, your servant, that Daniel of the captured Jews, disregards your decree and still prays to his God three times a day. The moment he heard their accusation, a shock of disappointment struck the king. Darius realized at once that his advisors had proposed this law only so they could condemn Daniel to death. The king knew that the prophet was an upright man. He had heard of the many miracles performed by the God of Daniel. But it was too late, as his advisors were quick to point out. Remember, great king, once a decree is made and approved by you, it cannot be changed. This is the way of the Medo-Persians. The king reluctantly agreed, and with regret, ordered that Daniel be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The guards found Daniel praying in his chamber and arrested him without a struggle. They led the aged prophet to the entrance of the lion's den, which had been sealed shut by a large stone. Darius accompanied them to officially seal the chamber once the prisoner was left to his fate. As they rolled back the stone and prepared to thrust Daniel into the jaws of death, Darius turned to Daniel. The God whom you continually and faithfully serve will deliver you, the king offered. The prophet did not respond, but it was clear he already knew. Daniel remained silent, calm and unafraid as he entered the den of lions. Darius personally sealed the entrance with his signet, and all the presidents and lords did so as well. The deed was done. It was permanent. Darius began to fast as soon as he returned to the palace. He grew more restless and frustrated as the night wore on. He forbade any of his servants to see him. Sleep fled from him. All night he lay awake, thinking about the fate of the old prophet. As the sun began to appear over the horizon, the king arose 
and quickly went to the lion's den. He peered through a barred opening at the top of the den. Through the murky darkness of dawn, he could see several lions pacing back and forth on the rocks below. The bones of previous prisoners were scattered throughout the den. The king anxiously looked for any sign of Daniel, but he could only see the prowling predators. Darius, the most powerful man on earth, lamented the death of the great man of God. He finally let out a desperate call to the prophet. Daniel, servant of the living God, has the God whom you continually serve delivered you from the lions? He called as the king anxiously waited for a response. Seconds seemed to drag out and the quiet appeared to tell the tale. But then, a voice arose from the darkness. Great King, live forever. My God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions, and no hurt has come to me. Daniel continued. I have done no wrong before my God or before you, and for that, my God has saved me. A great weight lifted from the king's shoulders. He was exceedingly glad to hear the prophet's voice and to learn that he was safe. Darius immediately ordered the guards to remove the prophet from the den. As he emerged from the darkness, no trace of harm could be found on him. Once Daniel was safe, Darius set himself to deliver justice to those who had accused the prophet. All the top advisors and lords involved in the plot were rounded up, including their wives and children. Darius then commanded that they be thrown into the den of lions. Release from the angel that had shut their jaws, the great beasts pounced on their prey. Darius then wrote a decree and sent it to all nations, languages, peoples under his domain. The decree read, Peace is unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom will men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He is the living God steadfast through eternity and his kingdom can never be destroyed and his dominion will last until the end of time. God rescues and delivers and is full of miracles. He has done that for Daniel whom he saved from the power of the lions. Daniel was restored to his position in the kingdom and never again had his life threatened by plotting scheming enemies. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.